You are listening to Go Doc Yourself, your weekly documentary book club. Listen in while we two errands dissect our most recent documentary find. Sometimes weird, sometimes mainstream, but always entertaining. Grab a cup of coffee and let's clutch. Hi, and welcome to Go Doc Yourself. I am Erin McCourt. No, you're no, not. I'm not. <laughs> Hi, welcome to Go Doc Yourself. I'm Erin McCart. <laughs> Sons of bitches. One more time. One more time. Hello and welcome to Go Doc Yourself. I am Erin McCart. And I'm Erin McCart. And we're here with your weekly documentary book club. This week, we're going to talk about the Miami Showband Massacre. Now, this is part of Netflix's remastered series. I think they have several different documentaries as part of the series. So it's just one of them. It was released in 2019. It's about an hour and 10 minutes long. And the director is Stuart Sender. So Aaron, what was your initial thoughts on it? How did you feel about it? I thought it was really informative. It was very interesting. Of course, I don't know a ton about, I mean, I think I listened to enough Cranberries that I feel like I know what was going on in Ireland. Summed it all up, yeah. Right. But this is really about the time that I was born. I was born in 78. And this is talking about kind of mid 70s. And some things that really jumped out to me were, of course, there was a ton of civil unrest. But some of the people said, you forget how much violence there really was. Mm -hmm. I knew that there was conflict between the Catholics and the Protestants, but really not a lot more detail than that. I didn't know what a show band was, but I love the fact that they brought everybody together. So it was like, it seems like a real shitty time to be there, but everybody came out for those show bands. So I thought that was kind of cool. Right. So just to kind of sum this up, this is a documentary about uh, an Irish show band and show bands in Ireland were not quite cover bands, but they did a lot of cover tunes. They just played whatever was dance music. They had to be able to play the popular hits of the time. Um, they had some of their own songs too, I believe, but they just mm-hmm. were meant to get people up and moving around and happy. But yeah, I had to look that up too. I had no idea what a show band was. I liked that they said it was Ireland's most glamorous band. And then they kind of showed some of the costumes and the pants were wide, wide legged and a lot of big lapels. And I was like, is that a sparkle? That's, that is just super bitch. There were so at times that part, it was really yeah, fun. A lot yeah. of sparkles. There were the mm-hmm. Irish Beatles, the Miami show band, yeah. the Irish Beatles. Yeah. I thought that was a great analogy. But so this documentary discusses a little bit about them and what happened to them on the night of July 31st, 1975. And then most of the documentary is kind of trying to solve that crime Mm -hmm. and figure out what happened, which I thought was interesting. So like Aaron mentioned, this happens in the mid 70s and in Ireland, starting, I believe, in the late 60s and until the Good Friday Agreement of 1998, I know that date there was what they called the Troubles. That sounds like such an innocuous name. It's like, oh, the Troubles, pish posh. Yeah, it really doesn't describe the level of fuckery that was going on there. Right? Like, oh, it's just, it's the Troubles. It's the Troubles. You take a little peppermint water, you get that solved. Mm -hmm. Or tea. I feel like tea solves everything Mm -hmm. in Ireland and the UK. But what it comes down to is you had, on a very surface level, you have... The Unionists, which were mostly Protestant, who wanted the Northern Ireland to remain with the UK. And then you mm-hmm. have the Nationalists, which were mostly Catholic, who wanted a single united Ireland. 
And so on the unionist side, you have paramilitary groups called, there were several on both sides, but the UVF mm-hmm. was the one that was discussed most in this documentary. Um, and it was the Ulster Volunteer Force. On the nationalist side, you had the IRA. Which is pretty prevalent. I mean, I think a lot of people mm-hmm. have heard of the IRA before. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the things that really was interesting to me in this documentary is the fact that these two paramilitary groups are still around, right? And if the Good Friday Agreement yeah. in 1998 was kind of like, all right, we're done with this fuckery, as you said, then why are they still there? I think they've become almost political parties, which I could be mistaken and anyone could correct me. But during the Troubles, around 3,700 people were killed. And I think mm-hmm. around 2,000 of those were just civilians. And then over 40,000 were injured. Yeah, that was a big statistic for the, I mean, like, obviously people died and that's terrible. But even to think about the injuries, I mean, at 40,000, that's, that's crazy. There were just so many, I mean, they're just setting random bombs off. Mm -hmm. I just don't understand. Again, I have a very surface level understanding of this. I would love to know what they thought that was going to solve. And what, I mean, it would, there were terrorist organizations when it comes down to it, but you're Mm -hmm. killing your own people. In the end, you're just killing random passersby who could be part of your group, could be part of another group. Mm -hmm. And I just don't understand the logic. Well, I liked the fact that they had a lot of footage of the troubles. So you got to see kind of what it looked like to have these bombs going off everywhere. And Mm -hmm. so I thought they did a really good job of kind of trying to communicate that, Mm -hmm. you know, because a lot of us, I mean, the 60s and 70s were a long time away, as I know, as I'm old, but (laughs) right. So I thought it was a good, it was a good strategy for the document maker to documentary even. Um, (laughs) (laughs) We can call them whatever. We can call them whatever. Right. I love when they bring that in because then it kind of, there's no interpretation, right? Mm -hmm. It's just kind of the situation um, you can see with your own eyes. Yeah. And one of the things they had said is you have so many kids growing up and and teens growing up without any like mm-hmm. social entertainment because it was dangerous. It was dangerous to go out and like to movie theaters and things like that. Mm-hmm. So all disruption all the yeah. time. And so one of the things that they did still have were dance halls and these show bands who would come. And so one woman had said that getting dressed up and going out dancing was like therapy because you could forget about mm-hmm. it. No one cared what religion you were. You just went out and you danced and had fun. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was mm-hmm. lovely. About this time, they start to introduce Stephen Tavers, who ended up being the bass guitarist for Miami Show Band. And he kind of talks about in his life, there wasn't really a lot of hate for the British. Like there wasn't a lot of discussion about, you know, they're the worst and whatever, because you would kind of think that that might go hand in hand with all of this that's going on. But it doesn't seem to have been that prevalent, at least at the beginning of all this. Mm -hmm. But I liked that he was talking about the way he was introduced to music and to being a musician. And he was like, well, I decided to, you know, play bass guitar because it was good enough for Paul McCartney. (laughs) It's like, I mean, it's, it's not the worst uh, influence you could have. Right. So um, kind of going along again with uh, Ireland's Beatles. I mean, that's kind of of how I feel about chemistry. If it was good enough for Marie Curie, it's good enough for me. (laughs) Could do it. Yeah. I hope you don't end up in a irradiated box, but you know, things you're still young. I've got time. Got time to glow. Yeah, you do. <laughs> you certainly So, do. like we said, the Miami Sound Band or Show Band? Ugh, not mm-hmm. Sound Band. That's Sound Machine and Show Band. Sound Machine. It's, <laughs> it's been on my mind the whole time. Yeah. So, I'm glad you called it we'll out. We'll just call it the Miami because that was the name but of the band. That's what they, yeah, they referenced it yeah. that way too. Mm-hmm. So, there were six members. You had Fran O'Toole, 
who was the lead vocalist. He was a songwriter. All the girls had the posters of him. Mm-hmm. Bit of a front man. The hairstyles on these men were just oh, amazing. feathered. It was, <laughs> it was spectacular. You have Desley, who was the band leader. I have no idea what that entails, unless he's holding a baton and like the drum major or something. I don't know. Also a manager too. So a little bit of mm-hmm. both there. Songwriter. And mm-hmm. he said he liked to play mm-hmm. sax. Brian McCoy, who played trumpet. Ray Miller, who was the drummer, Tommy Garrity, who was the guitarist, and Stephen Travers, who's the bass. And Stephen and mm-hmm. Des are the two who mostly talk throughout this documentary. I will say all six of them live in the Republic, right? They live in the Republic of Ireland, not Northern Ireland. So yeah, they grew mm-hmm. up in relatively peaceful areas far from the mm-hmm. border. Stephen did talk about how his dad, I believe, was part of the British military. So he had respect for yep. the uniform. He never thought anything of it. And this group was extremely popular in Northern Ireland too. Mm-hmm. So, you know, they kind of had ties to to both of that. And so I think that kind of adds in a little later as they talk about constantly crossing the border and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So on this night, 31st July, 1975, they're playing in Banridge in Northern Ireland. They do their gig. Everything's normal. They leave at about 2 a.m. Now there are only five members in the van because Ray Miller had somewhere else to go. So he had brought his own car and he was driving his own car and they're driving back and they get stopped at a checkpoint, which is pretty normal in Northern Ireland at this mm-hmm. time to have checkpoints. Mm-hmm. Um, they don't think much of it, but they're asked to get out of the car. There are five soldiers who are all armed with machine guns, but they're friendly and joking around with the band. They don't think much of it. Well, yeah. Yeah. It seems that the musicians were a little bit immune to some mm-hmm. of this because, you know, they kind of, um, bridged this and, and provided some entertainment. They they had a little bit of, yeah, immunity. To, I, th- I think to that's exactly what they thought. They felt like they were immune yeah. to the horrors that were going on because, yeah, they were part of a different world almost. Well, yeah, people were fans. And like, again, the music unites people. So that makes sense mm-hmm. to me that they were like, oh, it's just the band. Awesome sauce. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, when a sixth soldier arrives and he's different, he has a very posh, educated English accent in the rest of the, the so I keep calling them soldiers. I don't know if they're military now, but that's how they yes, presented. Yeah. Right. So, yeah. um, they got a little more serious. Stephen heard one, some, one person getting into their van, going through their stuff. And the next thing they, that happened was there was a huge explosion. The van exploded. Mm-hmm. They were thrown very far well past the ditch and they heard gunfire going off. It was just chaos. The band rent, they, they run into the fields, you know, kind of, I assume you're in shock at this point. So you don't really know what you're doing. You're just trying to get away from whatever caused the chaos in the first place. And so there was a little bit of a cat and mouse situation for a bit after that. Well, I know Desmond said he had been thrown. And so a couple of them were just kind of thrown into the field. And I think mm-hmm. a couple of them were able to get up and, and run. Yeah. But yeah, they heard shooting. Um, Steven was shot with a dum-dum bullet which he explained is an exploding bullet. I had no idea what that was. It sounds a lot less. Yeah. At first I was like, oh, that sounds delicious. I hope he got mystery flavor. Yeah. Yeah. Pina colada. Mm -hmm. (laughs) No, it exploded. So awkward. Yeah. Tore everything up. So Steven, Des, and of course, Ray, who wasn't with him, were the only three that survived. And the three that died were Fran, Brian McCoy, and Tony Garrity. I like Helen McCoy came on. She was only on briefly, but she was the wife of Brian McCoy. And unfortunately she had to hear about her husband's death on the radio. They didn't even yes. call and tell her. She just turned on the news. 
And that's where it was. That's horrible. I don't know. I mean, I don't know if that was part of the idea, like kind of the emotional terrorist part of it or not. Yeah, I don't know. Since it happened in the North, I mean, essentially happened in a different country. Yeah. So, you know, they arrested a couple people pretty quickly. And Des and Stephen have to go up and, you know, give testimony against them in Northern Mm -hmm. Ireland. And they're being threatened by the families of the two that were convicted or spoiler, they were convicted, who were arrested and on trial, they were telling mm-hmm. the family members are telling them that we'll get you. It doesn't matter where. Yeah. One yeah. way or another it's coming, which is horrifying. Um, yeah. It's really, it's really grotesque. I also thought it was interesting that you kind of find out about this time that there were two that were killed mm-hmm. during the explosion, two of the, the UVF members. Yeah. I was going to say soldiers, but again, that seems to be somewhat in question. They just at least looked like soldiers. Mm-hmm. Um, so. Well, it was determined that the two that were arrested were UVF members and the two that were killed were UVF mm-hmm. mes- members. Right. And what appeared mm-hmm. to have happened was the bomb had gone off prematurely, right? It was meant to go off yes. later. Um, mm-hmm. There are a couple different explanations. Some say it would have gone off 15 minutes down the road. Others say the intent was it for it to go off once they were back in the Republic after they were out of the car. So I'm using Cody fingers here. No one got hurt, but clearly that's not what happened. Well, I think that's, that's short-sighted, right? They put that bomb in that car for a reason. Like you, I think your, your intention is to terrify, to scare, mm-hmm. to kill, you know, and at that point you don't care if they didn't want to kill anybody. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You didn't have to put it in a spot where people were. <laughs> no. Right. And well, because of the, the threats in that Stephen and his wife moved to London for like mm-hmm. know, 17 years or something. Yeah. 20 years, 20 years yeah. before mm-hmm. they feel like it's safe to come back. They don't discuss what Des does, but it's interesting that Stephen said that he thought hopefully he could get away from it. Right. They originally mm-hmm. had tried to get, I want to say the band back together, but they wanted to rebuild the Miami band mm-hmm. and they, they mm-hmm. did, they got three new members and they toured a little bit and he just realized he couldn't do it. He had clearly a lot of PTSD as anyone would. Yeah. And he's pretty mm-hmm. open about it in this. And I, I liked that, that he was like, you know, I, I thought I was over it at a few different points and then kind of comes back with, I really wasn't, mm-hmm. I didn't realize how much this impacted me. Um, So I, I thought that that was really brave. And I, I dig that. Yeah. Back then, it's not like anyone talked about that, right? You just suck it up and deal with it. Mental health was mm-hmm. not a real thing. Yeah. And he talked about like, I healed physically pretty yeah. fast and I just wanted to forget it. I wanted to move on. I didn't want to have to think about mm-hmm. it, which also seems really human, mm-hmm. um, you know, for somebody that's in that kind of situation. But yeah, I mean, I think it was interesting that he started to talk about after he came back, there was a the tribunal and it starts to stir things up again. And that's in 2003. Yeah, they set up, what is it, the HET? Yes. And I did not write down the long form version of that. But it seems like that this organization wants to get answers to families of everybody that was murdered. And um, so it, on the surface, again, you're like, oh, sweet, finally, we're going to deal with this. But unfortunately, again, it kind of becomes more and more subversive. And they're only willing to talk about certain aspects of stuff, or they don't want to hear about him witnessing that there was somebody with a British accent. They're like, nah, nah, somebody was just putting that on. So mm. you would assume and he's like, if they were going to kill us, why would they care about that? What if I was like, what a great mm-hmm. point. He's no dummy. And I, I dug that about him too. Right. I did write it down as the historic inquiries team, but it was okay. set up by Britain and run by people from Britain. And so it was accountable <laughs> to Britain. Mm-hmm. Right. And so that was kind of part of the problem was it can't be completely open if 
if it's going to be accountable to people who won't listen to anything but what they want to hear, right? They already have a preconceived idea of what they want to happen here. Right. We're, we're willing to be responsible only to a certain point. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, both sides were the worst. And it, I mean, it does seem like there was kind of an escalation constantly going on, like, we'll kill some of you guys, and then you kill some of us. And but that doesn't really kind of get to the heart mm-hmm. of the issue. One of the people they did talk about was Robin Jackson, the mm-hmm. jackal, which is a yeah, a jackal. <laughs> yeah. I didn't think he got that name. Do you think he just had a really bad laugh? Oh, God, that would be glorious. Yeah. I don't know. I thought he looked awfully weaselly. So um, okay. maybe that had to some, I, it's probably not nearly that cool. Jackson, Jackal seems, Ugh, that's not, you know, kind of right next door so to one another. Not creative mm-hmm. at all is what you're saying. That's unfortunate. Absolutely not. Mm-hmm. Well, they had brought him in for questioning pretty quickly because he was a known associate of the two UVF members who died on site. Um, and it was also kind of his territory. And he was the, one of the most prolific murderers, of the entire troubles mm-hmm. is my understanding. Well, he kind of seems like a bit of a dumbass too. Cause he was like pulling up his shirt and being like, look at these scars and burn mics I've got from the Miami uh, massacre. Well, I took it as less as a dumbass and more of a, they can't touch me. Oh, well, that's, I mean, okay. because think about it. So they brought him in and this is something that they said, and I about lost my shit. They said they brought him in for questioning and he sat there entirely silent the whole time and didn't say anything. So they let him go. That's it. That's all you have to do? Yeah. What we hear about in the States is they take you in a room and just leave you in there for 12 hours, whether you cooperate or not. And then you're so hungry and you have to pee so bad that you just confess. Everything. Global warming, world hunger. I'll take it all. (laughs) I was the second gunman on the grassy knoll. Yeah. All of this. Yeah. Right. Well, not the jackal. He got away with it. And apparently Mm -hmm. it wasn't the only time. There were several times they discussed him just kind of getting away with it. So he was, this plays into part of the theories later on, but they did mention that Robin, as well as some other members of the UVF had been members of the UDR. Now the UDR was the Ulster defense regimen, which in some sites they'll say that it was also paramilitary, more like a militia, but on other sites they say it was more like Northern Ireland's army, right? So they're supposed to be more legitimate, Mm -hmm. maybe backed by actual government. And so several of the UVF members, it looks like had gone and joined the UDR and then got training and left. And at some point in time, they stole like hundreds of weapons on the way out. Yeah. I think even to say they stole things is perhaps generous because a lot of it looked to be an inside job. So there was a lot of collusion between these organizations. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was, I mean, I guess, you know, I, it's hard to say. Kind of depending on what your end game was, you like to think that everybody is like such a, a staunch supporter of their own side. But I mean, really, it seems like everybody just wants to make money at the end of the day or, you know, something like that. So, yeah, the whole thing is unfortunate. I mean, there was a lot of collusion they did mm-hmm. prove later. But one of the other keys to them having Robin having an insider was they found a gun about 10 minutes, 10 minutes, about 10 minutes later, about 10 months <laughs> after. <laughs> The massacre, and they found a silencer and some insulating tape. Now, they did fingerprint analysis Mm -hmm. and found Robin's fingerprints on the silencer. But there was an error Mm -hmm. in the report that said that the fingerprints were on the insulating tape. And so when they brought him in to question him, he already had an answer of why his fingerprints were on the insulating tape, which he shouldn't have even known. But someone clearly within the police department had read the report and gotten that information. I guess, though, what's the difference between 
being on the tape and on the silencer if they were found at the same time? Well, because if I have a roll um, of tape in my house and you borrow it and take some tape, my fingerprints might be okay. I don't know. Okay. That's my guess. Mm-hmm. Still not no. great, though. Yeah. Easier to make up an excuse. Yeah. Perhaps, yeah. But yeah, apparently he's brought in over and over again and just let go over and over again. Mm-hmm. They did discuss, so there were two, there were two people, and I'm going to name one of them wrong, and I'm going to tell you why in a minute. Colin Wallace and Fred Holroyd. Yeah. yeah. Now, Colin Wallace, I'm going to want to call Colin Robinson every single time because of what we do in the shadows. <laughs> it kind of reminds me of him too. So if I call him Colin Robinson, right. I apologize. It's Colin Wallace. Okay. I'll get my taboo buzzer and like buzz yeah. you. Yeah. Yeah. But they were both in the British army and they were both intelligence with the British army. And they yep. were saying from very early on, listen, there's a lot of problems with the British army working with the UVF against the IRA. And one area where it became very obvious was there was a day in Dublin in 1974, where there were several bombs set off at once or within right. moments of each other, right. In different areas. Yep. And they knew, I think one of the two dead gentlemen from the massacre. The yeah. Miami bomb. And yep. then Robin, the jackal, we're mm-hmm. both part of that. And I think there were probably other members that they knew definitively had been part of the bombings in Dublin and nothing ever happened mm-hmm. to them. Nothing ever happened to them at all. They didn't even bring them in or anything. And so when they see these other things happening, that these people are now still continuing to commit these crimes, they can see a clear connection. Yeah. yeah. It's just harder to dismiss mm-hmm. over time. Yeah. It did occur to me while you were talking about Robin. I think that this is a situation where he has he has suggested that he will now be called the Jackal because his first name is Robin. And it's hard to have good street cred in that instance. He was like, from now on, you guys are just going to call me the Jackal. And it took a while. He had to reinforce it a lot. Maybe he had a really good like PRT fish eye. To, he could just like really give you a good look. I really think that that's probably how that. Do you think started. that's where half the killings that he got he got credit for came from? Was because people called him Robin instead of the Jackal, and he just was like, no. Yeah, he had a very detailed notebook that he kept in his pocket all the time, and he was like, "I see you, any Irish guy, Patty um, kind of snickering, you know, a pox on you in your house, You're going down. That's right. And apparently, everyone you know as well. Okay, so Stephen has been working with different groups and the HET, you know, his goal is just to kind of figure out the truth. He really wants accountability. I don't think he even wants anyone really to be put in jail or anything. It's just like, just fucking own it. Mm -hmm. And they come down to the fact that it was all the blame was put on Ireland on one side or the other. No one on the British side. And like I said, every time he brings up anyone of British descent, they're like, no, 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 couldn't possibly. Almost comically. So, right. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, you couldn't possibly have remembered that or it was somebody was putting you on or whatever. And so I think even that it was like protesting too much, mm-hmm. right? Like that's just a straight arrow to be like, oh, we're really on something mm-hmm. here. So I found that kind of interesting. So yeah, he's bringing up the British connection. Colin Wallace mm-hmm. and Fred Holroyd, Holyrood, mm-hmm. were bringing up the British connection where Stephen can be dismissed with Colin and Fred. They were both released from military duty. They were taken out mm-hmm. of Ireland. Fred was put in a mental institution to discredit everything yep. he said. Yep. And Colin was framed for murder to discredit everything he said. Yep. That's some extreme crazy bullshit. 
Yeah. Again, you, I don't know. I think that it's interesting. You find out eventually those things were like Fred's trying to get that record expunged and Colin was, it was eventually overturned, but like he spent years Mm -hmm. in jail and it's just like, God, it's just so slimy, the whole Mm -hmm. thing. So yeah, no one really listened to them. Stephen wanted to talk to the two gentlemen who were arrested. Now, Mm -hmm. they were given life sentences. The longest life sentences ever given in Ireland. How long were those life sentences, Aaron? Do you remember? Not life sentences? They were 35 years. Yeah, Yeah, I'm like, well, they were like mid to late 20s. Only in their 60s when they get out. That doesn't seem like a life sentence. But, you know, I come from the U.S. where you so much as litter, you get a life sentence. And that's a for reals 100-year life sentence. So if you're Black, at least. Depend- I was going to say, depending <laughs> on the situation, because sometimes the life sentence is like, eh, 20 years, is, you're good. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it's not great. I thought it was a pretty smart move, though, to go and talk to the people who were there. And, you know, once they were released. That's part of the peace process. Um, yeah, yeah. How wonderful that they might be willing to talk to him and, and kind of move forward. They were not. Well, yeah. He was not allowed to talk to them. However, he mm-hmm. was put in touch with the craftsmen. Mm-hmm. Another self-appointed. Not nickname. a very menacing one. <laughs> I, yeah, they wouldn't give this. They wouldn't give his real name. They said mm-hmm. he was a second in command of the UVF. And he came to talk to Stephen. And Stephen was like, well, the worst they can do is kill us. And I thought, wow. Well, it's true. But damn, dude. So this gentleman had like eight or nine pages of handwritten notes. He knew it was coming. He's just kind of been prepared for someone to come and ask him about this, apparently. Mm -hmm. And said that the bomb was supposed to go off when they were at home asleep, as I mentioned earlier. And that then they would release a statement that said, listen, we can reach, we can reach the Republic. We can reach anywhere, you know, kind of as just a warning. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think the facts say otherwise, but sure. Well, I mean, when you're the one controlling the narrative and, Mm -hmm. you know, probably he doesn't want to admit that, you know, what this was really about. Like, to me, this whole thing is like a bunch of young hotheads trying to one up each other. And like, you know, kind of in time, you kind of gain a new perspective. And it's hard to admit that you were the one who's putting this out in the world. Well, I think they sum it up pretty well later. And we'll get to that of why, why it actually happened. But this isn't necessarily why. When Stephen asked about the British officer, there was no denying it. The the craftsman said he took some risks, that Brit. So he wasn't denying it was there. He just said there was mm-hmm. a Brit there. He didn't say who it was or anything. But eventually, a gentleman called Captain Robert Nyrak, his name gets brought up quite a bit. Yeah. In Parliament, even. There are members of Parliament who were poo-pooed because they brought it up that he might have had a part in it. Well, he was also deceased at this time. So he was killed somewhere along the line. And they were like, don't disparage this guy's good name. And it's just kind of like, but it's okay to disparage the guys that died as a result of your actions. Mm -hmm. Well, I think it's very common that anyone who's in the military, especially if they died Mm -hmm. in service to the military, you can't say anything bad about them ever. They were glorious, Mm -hmm. upstanding people dying for the cause. They're essentially Jesus. A lot of martyrdom. Yeah. Yeah. And so, yeah, I mean, even, even on the news that, Parliament member, um, I did not write his name down. Michael Mates. Uh, no, he was a different one. He was the one with the eyebrows that were going to eat his face. Oh, that's true. Okay, I did write bad. his name down only because of the eyebrows. <laughs> those those were really like Muppet oh level, God. right? I couldn't yeah. even listen to what he had to say. All I could see were those eyebrows. And they had started, well, I know this is not the thread we're on, but like even back in the day, again, all the footage, they've got great, great footage of news coverage and different people along, you know, this timeline, but that guy, 
he had some wily caterpillars from day mm-hmm. one. I think he was born with mm-hmm. them. They took up half his face. That was impressive. <laughs> they were strong. <laughs> really his most definable feature. Yeah. He was a conservative. The other parliament member mm-hmm. was more of a liberal. But he, he brought up that this Nyrak had a lot of dealings. He was stationed in Ireland. And that even if he was responsible for these things, he wasn't necessarily being psychopathic. He was just following orders. And I think that was the biggest mm-hmm. problem. Not necessarily this person was the fact that he was following orders. Mm-hmm. Um, but Michael Mates, Mr. Eyebrows, he had served five tours in Ireland, which was interesting. But he was the one who kind of just said, listen, as, as British military, we didn't fuck with the UVF because we were on the same side, essentially. We both wanted Northern Ireland to stay with the UK. And so it was us against mm-hmm. the IRA. Mm-hmm. And to say it out loud, like, listen, these they're still terrorists. You can't condone that. But they're like, meh, whatever. They're doing it for the greater good, as it were. Which is, not, it's not great. Yeah, it makes me uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. I thought it was funny. Well, not funny, but um, very interesting to see that they bring out Margaret Thatcher <laughs> at this Good point. old Maggie. And you're like, her hair is, it doesn't move. And that's pretty impressive oh. with the climate that she had to endure, but that was like helmet hair of first order. I think it took to do every day. I mean, I think she just got it done once a week and then it Mm -hmm. was just so hairsprayed that they probably just had to poof up a little bit in the back and then she was good to go. Do you think she had like the most amazing dehumidifiers in her house, in her car? Cause you're right. England is very damp Mm -hmm. and that will, that will screw up a bouffant faster than anything. Well, I mean, I think it made her intensely intimidating because, I mean, my hair would probably run off my head if I was like, look, this is what we're working on. We're going to work towards the intimidation Mm -hmm. factor of Madame She's got magic on her side um, at this point. I mean, it is the land of Harry Potter after all. So, um, you know, we can't really refute that. Mm -hmm. I just want to say that every time I see her now, I think of Margaret Thatcher naked on a cold day. It doesn't have anything to do with this story. But like that is in my brain with such permanence that that's my that's my Austin Powers reference for you. Mm-hmm. For now we all need therapy. Thank you very much. <laughs> well, I do yeah. what I can, you know. Well, the only thing they said was Colin and Fred we're on a first name basis. Now we're friends. Yeah, They had written to Margaret Thatcher and they had explained everything mm-hmm. and the connection with the British military and MI5 and with the UVF and all of these things. And Nothing happened. I think later she claimed she never even read it. It was probably bullshit. She probably read it and was like, oh, well, that's kind of the point and did nothing. Well, it's a CD underbelly, right? Nobody wants to admit that this was a thing. And, you know, the more people dig and the, they didn't want to let it go. And I think, again, that's to Stephen's credit that he was like, look, there was a long time that I wanted to forget about this. But, mm-hmm. you know, as I got older, I just wanted answers. I wanted to understand what had happened to my friends, what had happened to me. And so he didn't give up, which Mm -hmm. is kind of how a lot of these stories get solved is there's one person who's just like, "Mm -mm, I'm not, I don't buy it. Mm -hmm. I'm going to have to have to know more. Well, and Stephen had said the British army, or was it Stephen? Someone said the British army chose Mm -hmm. the Miami to murder to achieve their political goal, which was they wanted, they wanted the Irish government to seal the border with the North. So the IRA yep. couldn't escape into the relative safety of the South and the Republic. I mm-hmm. never would have come up with that. That seems so like you're going to kill five kids. Essentially, they were just early 20s. They're babies. Five kids. 
for this. Some stuff. Yeah. I think it was interesting too that, I mean, like, I think it's twofold, right? So one of the lines that I wrote down was that Miami was framed for carrying bombs for the IRA because they did have a little bit of that immunity. And the other thing is like, I think they brought hope to the people, mm-hmm. no matter, you know, which side of things that you were on and the powers that be didn't like that. They wanted terror to reign. And so the people had one reprieve, at least that's sort of how this is framed. And that wasn't, that wasn't okay. They just, Mm -hmm. um, it was bringing people together and they just, they wanted to tarnish that. Yeah. He did say, he did say that if, if their plan had worked and everyone had died, they would have been remembered as terrorists. Yeah. And that's fucking horrible. I think it was interesting too, that they said that the, basically this is how the British government has operated everywhere forever. (laughs) Well, they pit the, you know, they pit Ireland against itself. Right. And they, and they Mm -hmm. act like they have no part of this. They just kind of remove themselves from it. Like, oh, we're just here to keep the peace. When in general, they were, you know, they're definitely helping one side more than the other. Mm-hmm. And sometimes planning these things and carrying them out and mm-hmm. letting letting the UVF carry it out so they could put all the blame strictly on Ireland entirely. Mm-hmm. It's, I mean, let's be honest, it's not just England that has done it, but it's disgusting yeah. nonetheless. Yeah. Something Stephen had talked about was that he he talked about enduring personality change. So he said... He was one person. He was this, you know, carefree bassist, this musician. That's all he ever wanted to do was just to play bass and be a musician. And then Mm -hmm. the minute this happened, he had become a very different person. And he never kind of returned to the person he was. That person died in the bombing. Mm -hmm. And he'd even asked his wife, you know, was I, did I change that much? And she said, yeah, I essentially had to learn to love a new person. Yeah. And that broke my heart a little bit. I mean, I'm glad she did. And I'm glad they were, they served were able to survive it and their relationship survived, but that's, that's gotta be hard mm-hmm. for a partner to see and not be able to help. And yeah, I mean, I think we talked a lot about the level of violence for this whole period is kind of forgotten or, you know, it, it was a, it was a big cultural memory. And I think a lot of people probably dealt with similar issues. You know, it was scarring. It was horrible. And while you seem to have been okay on the outside, it took people years and years to recover if they ever even did. I'm sure that there were some that did not handle it so well, mm-hmm. you know, going forward. Like I said, I thought it was really interesting kind of how open he was about it. And I thought that was very mm-hmm. cool. At the end, I also liked that they kind of showed a little bit about those that survived and then some other people kind of got together and they were singing and they were playing a little bit. Mm-hmm. and kind of talking about, again, how the music really united people. And uh, I don't know that it was just really a powerful force. Right. I will say in his in his fight against the British Ministry of Defense, I mean, there's, he has a, Stephen has a court case against them. Um, and they're trying to get mm-hmm. documents. They finally were allowed to get these documents from the Irish government. <laughs> One of the letters was a letter from the UVF that was on letterhead, like, they were that much of an organization even back then. They had professional <laughs> letterhead. And he even made a comment like that. He's like, what in the world? But this letter from the UVF to the Irish government stating that MI5 had asked the UVF to assassinate Charles Huey, who was the prime minister of Ireland from 87 to 92. And they had also backed kidnappings and murders and had supplied bomb supplies and things of that nature. And this was given to the Irish government back in what, in like the eighties, I think. Mm -hmm. And they could have had some closure then, but now it's had been kept quiet all this time. Well, again, you, you know, it's hard to admit, or you don't want to admit that 
this is the shit that was going on. Yeah. Um, also, I think it's funny. Do you think the people that donated to the UVF were like, what is the breakdown between, you know, what's supplied for guns? What goes for your administrative costs like letterhead? Are you are you taking people out to lunch? I mean, like, I just think it's very funny <laughs> that, about the letterhead comment. Like, if you're a secret organization, I mean, this seems like a no. The best business dealings are done in strip joints is what I've learned from the movies. That's what that we're doing. <laughs> oh, nice. Mm-hmm. Okay. So Stephen did get to me with Winston Irvine, who is a current UVF contact. He looked a little young to be a member back in the seventies. He looked like my age though, so. mm-hmm. but I like how he said, Winston said um, there was never any intent to harm the Miami. And Steven said, I'm just going to have to disagree with you there. The fact, the facts <laughs> say otherwise, but it was very, it was very <sighs> calm. It was very professional. He's like, you know, I'm glad mm-hmm. that we can sit here and discuss this. You know, this guy is obviously just speaking. He's telling the line, right? He's just speaking what he's been told. Yeah, it's the corporate line. Like, oh, this was never intended. But the truth is, it was. Mm -hmm. You don't put a bomb in the back of a van full of people without accepting the fact that it's going to hurt Mm -hmm. somebody. Or you need to have better bomb makers. I I don't know. It's possible that a little bit of both. Yeah. So the UVF has come a long way. Apparently, they're all they have a good a good face for the public now that they can mm-hmm. see. They have some kind of PR mm-hmm. managers with a really good letterhead. They probably have some social medias now. Yeah. So they're doing better. A spin doctor, if a you will. Mm-hmm. So the two things that I really took away from this, one thing that Stephen said was, like you were saying, when they got together and they were celebrating, not celebrating, but they were, it's like the 30th anniversary of, mm-hmm. of the killing. And he said, the music will last longer and be louder than any of their bombs and guns. And I thought, oh, mm-hmm. that's really beautiful because it's true. Music brings people together. It doesn't matter what music you listen to or what religion you are, or what you believe mm-hmm. in. Everyone likes music of some sort. Yeah. Stephen had talked to him when the band was together. They were kind of split down the middle. There were Protestants and Catholics in the group and they were able to make it work. So I think the people themselves may not have been the drivers for this. It was really political and that's really horrible. Mm-hmm. My other yeah. takeaway is my new favorite word is skullduggery. <gasps> yes. <laughs> That's a word that he used quite often. And I just like it. And I'm somehow going to have to fit it into conversation at least once a day. I think that I accept your challenge. And if I don't hear it, then I am going to get that taboo buzzer out at the end and be like, mm-hmm. this has been a lovely conversation. Yeah. I did not hear skullduggery. <laughs> Try again. <laughs> <laughs> Your vocabulary challenge has failed for today. And now you must listen to country um, music. No. Yeah. Now, maybe I'll I'll choose a bad show band song <laughs> and play it for you on loop. Mm-hmm. I think we, we learned that there were no bad Miami show band songs. I don't know about the other show bands. I mean, they seem to have been much loved. So that's really awesome. There was stomping. There was clapping. There were happy, happy teenagers. Hell yeah, there was. Parting mm-hmm. it up. And then... Government had to had to destroy everything as they do. There's always somebody coming in to, you know, kind of rain on your parade. <laughs> the children are our future. Can we just let them, you know, lead the way? No. Well, I will say that this was a more serious documentary, but I did like it. Mm-hmm. It was very educational. I was not surprised even a little bit when you hear about the government dealings with terrorist organizations coming from the U.S. That seems like a very common trope. Yeah, I mean... Again, it says Miami, and so <laughs> I, I having I know nothing about this, 
before starting it, I was really surprised that it was about Ireland and it was really, really educational. And I, I liked that. I mean, I like a nice historical documentary. But yeah, I mean, you feel a little bit more educated about what's going on in the world. You know, I mean, we kind of grew up in the 80s when this was still talked about. Yeah, it's just um, makes me thankful that, you know, we've grown up in a time that was peaceful and I don't have to worry about going out and getting in my car and it blowing up. So what's interesting is the first time I went to Ireland with my mom Mm -hmm. was February of 1998. So right before Mm -hmm. the Good Friday Agreement and there were car bombs and we went just to the Republic (laughs) and, you know, watching the news, there were car bombs that had gone off. The last time I went to Ireland, uh, Declan and I were on a train from Dublin to Belfast and we were sitting next to a man and his mother and they had lived close to the border during the troubles. And she had talked about, you know, some of the horrible things that they had to do and some of the things she saw, she was this teeny tiny little woman and, you know, but she would talk back to them, you know, and everything was just, it was crazy to hear firsthand accounts from people because you see it on the news or you just think of it as in the past. And, but for them, it was very real. It was their life. Right. It's not It's not as relevant if you don't have a connection mm-hmm. to it. And I think we got to move away from that because eventually that strife and, and things does end up on your doorstep. It's terrifying. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm glad that it's resolved more or less, but I, you know, people are still dealing with it. So yeah, but um, this was excellent. Like I said, it was, it was informative. It was short to watch in, you know, one sitting. Yeah. So music fans, I think you would enjoy it. Yeah. So I, I dug it. Me too. The hair was epic. The costume seemed to be pretty awesome. One of the gentlemen, the UVF gentleman that died and they kept showing pictures of them. He had the best Prince in the Popper haircut I have ever seen. (laughs) It was glorious. I mean, he didn't look one bit suspicious. I mean, you you just assume he skipped everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. So Lori M399 on Instagram had some comments for us. She starts off with, hello, Aaron's. I can't tell if the Miami band doc is pure political propaganda or it's legit. There's one person who would know for sure, and that's the queen. I'm sure you can get her on a follow-up episode. And also, should I feel bad that I don't know these Beatles of Ireland or recognize any of their songs? So let me first respond to the bit about the queen and clearly we've got to call in to have her comment as she's hip deep in this whole thing, obviously. I expect then, a response any day. Yeah, I agree. I think she's going to grab her best church hat and uh, she'll be calling in post haste. Then as far as should we in the States, I guess, have known about these guys? And I don't think that we should have. I think that, I mean, I was just a baby. Well, that's not even true. They were, they were gone for, I was even. Yeah. You weren't born. Yeah. It happened right before I was born. So for all we know, I'm a reincarnation of one of them. I mean, it's possible. Your sense of style. Although I don't feel like you like quite as many sparkly lapels. At work. You're really you going to have to stop it up. You don't know what I, I wear at home. You do like some feathered hair, though. Me and Farah. Right? We got a cover. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I, I guess... Is that just an American thing to be like, oh, uh, this is the only country and this is the only music that matters? Shit, I couldn't even have told you a lot of specifics about the the trouble, right? Before I really watched any of this. Yeah, I didn't know what a show band was and had to Google it. So I think we're all (laughs) fairly safe. I thought Um, maybe it was full of show girls, but it seems it's not. Show boys. Even better, in my opinion. Right. Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So... Thank you, Lori, for responding to us and being part of the discussion. And we'll let you know as soon as the queen responds. 
yeah, this is what uh, this is what you get when you comment. We're gonna we're gonna put you on on the spot. So thank you. What are we doing next time? We're doing Who Killed Garrett Phillips. It's on HBO Max. It's two episodes. I think each one is about an hour long. Is that correct? Might be a little bit longer. Might be an hour and a half. But God, I don't remember. It's been a minute since I saw mm-hmm. it. Everybody should watch this one, in my opinion. It covers a lot of social Everyone ills. Everyone should watch all of them, in my opinion, and then come listen to oh, us. Well, yes, of, of course. course. But I will say, watch this one and be prepared to be upset. Yep. And just really frustrated. Make sure you don't watch it on a TV that if you throw something at it, it will break. <laughs> I'm just saying. Yeah. Be prepared. Yeah. So reach out to us on Instagram and Twitter at go dock yourself on each of those platforms. Please rate review and subscribe so we can get to more peoples out there who definitely need to hear more from us. The idea of course, is that you comment and ask questions and then we'll loop you into our chit chat. So we can be a uh, book club esque. Yeah, that's it. That's all we got this week. So right. until next Wednesday, peace out. Later, Joe.